Howdy. That wasn't much of a response. Good morning. I must have caught you off guard with the howdy. You didn't understand how to respond. Boy, we had a fantastic time this weekend. We had our uh, youth overnighter uh, finally. We didn't. We had originally planned it for February, but strangely enough, Friday night we had February weather. So it kind of worked out that way. We had all kinds of fun. We did all kinds of different things. Uh, I want to thank the people that that helped with that. Jana did a ton and saved us from uh, probably uh, vehicular um, accidents. Uh, part of our uh, goings-on was at like 10.30 at night, we were going to pile into the cars and go to Meyer and get donuts. And she called up, I don't know what, about 9.30 or 10 and said, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's an inch of snow on the ground. Maybe you ought not be doing that. So she went and got donuts and brought them to us, uh, which was great. Now, um, youth overnighters, if you're not familiar with them, are pretty wild events and have a lot of things going on, and there's not a lot of sleep that actually occurs. However, I do want to make a comment, and far be it from me to suggest that there's a genetic trait difference uh, that would be sexist to say. However, I was in one room with the six boys between the ages of like 8 and 13. And when I told them to go to sleep, 15 minutes later, they were asleep. Kathy was in a different room with just three girls. And she said they talked till 2 in the morning. Just saying. So yesterday she went home and took a three-hour nap. Ah, uh, it was a really great time, and uh, the kids announced to their parents when they came to pick them up that we were going to do this every year. So I guess we are. <laughs> uh, there is a myth, I think, even within Christianity, that people are good by nature. I did a survey down at Motter Park, uh, I don't know, about three years ago. Just asked people walking by uh, a series of questions. I asked them if I could uh, ask them their opinion on a series of questions. One of the questions was, are people generally good or are they generally bad? It wasn't surprising to me that um, in a, a, a smaller community such as this, most people said that they thought people by their nature were good. Today, um, we're doing a sermon that's the first of a series of three. And today, the title of the sermon is Becoming Evil. Next week is going to be called Becoming Good, and then there's a third one. There were two ladies that I talked to who at first, when they walked up, I asked if I could talk with them, and they said, sure, and they're answering, and I said, do you believe that people are generally 
uh, by their nature good or generally by their nature bad. At first they said, oh, people are good. And then they're kind of talking, and one of them says, wait a minute, the fall. And then they talked with each other a little bit about what the Bible teaches about this, and then they said, no, they changed their answer. People, by their nature, are fallen and are, generally speaking, bad. We have a bent towards choosing bad. Now, I understand that most people would not consider themselves to be theologians. But I think that's mostly because we have this view of a theologian as some old guy with, uh, with like half rim glasses and a goatee, and he's wearing a suit, and he's in some seminary library reading obscure books that nobody has ever heard of. The truth is, however, that anyone who's studying and thinking about God is a theologian. That's what it means, thinking, someone who is thinking and studying God. Some people just do it professionally, and others do it merely for their own good. It's definitely for our own good, that we should be studying continually about God, studying theology, being theologians. And the primary book we should be studying from is far from obscure. In fact, it's been the world's best seller since the Gutenberg Press was invented, and probably before that. It's the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say on the issue of people's situation as far as sin goes. I want to take a look at one passage to start with. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 25. Let's read what Paul has to say on this, about himself even. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. If you read that passage in the NIV, it's even more confusing. It's what I do, I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do do, and I do and I don't want to do do. Do-do? So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and keeping me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's a lot which could be argued between those of differing ideas about what is meant by some aspects of this. Many would argue for the absolute total depravity of mankind. 
that we have absolutely nothing about us which is good in any way, shape, or form. Others would argue that we merely have a fallen nature, a bent toward evil. That left to our own devices, we will nearly always lean into the bad, selfish, ungodly way of thinking and doing things. Some would argue that we are of ourselves totally evil. And without even the ability to seek God, without God's prevenient grace, that is him reaching out to us first, giving us the ability to even desire to reach out to him. Some people in various camps believe that we are born sinful, as in we are guilty due to the original sin of Adam. Others say, no, that's not what that means. We don't inherit Adam's guilt. We're not born guilty. We just have our nature corrupted by the fall and all that stuff that happened in Genesis 3. There are literally libraries written about such things. And while some would simply say, well, Calvinists, they believe all of these things about it. And they're wrong. Others would say, well, Arminians, they believe all of these things about it. And they're wrong. The truth is that there are a wide variety of ways that folks from both camps of that think. And I find that I make small, subtle shifts in my understanding of the finer points of this as I continue study in my, I don't know, quarter century of ministry. The only part of all of this which I think is absolutely important for all of us theologians, that's all of us who are people thinking about and studying God, the only part that is absolutely imperative that we do understand is that at the very least, we are prone to sin, have sinned, and we are each in need of a Savior. As Paul says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even after we are washed in the blood of the Lamb, we will sin. Even when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will sin. Why? Because even though we are forgiven and have God as the Holy Spirit assisting us, we have that bent toward evil, which has to be constantly fought against. The wonderful thing is that through the Holy Spirit, we are promised that we can always defeat sin. We can defeat those temptations because we have the Holy Spirit. We're promised we can. We are not promised that we will defeat those temptations. This is because doing so requires our cooperation with the Holy Spirit, and we don't always do that, do we? 
We don't even always want to do that. But Paul explains that even when we want to do what is right, we often fail and we choose, choose to do evil. So, does that make us evil? When we are Christians, having accepted the grace of God in forgiveness, been washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven of our sins, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we still, on occasion, choose to do evil, does that make us evil? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has been arguing against some people who appear to be promoting the idea that there is no physical resurrection of the dead. They're saying, no, there's no resurrection of the dead. That's Apparently they thought just as the Sadducees or as their Italian cousins, the Sadducees, thought that life was it. God blesses us here in this world and that's all we have. And some people were teaching this within the church. In which case a lot of people would be wondering, well if this is all there is, what is the point of self-sacrifice for the kingdom? Indeed, Paul says that everything he has suffered would be pretty much pointless. And people should just concentrate on having a good time if there's no resurrection, which is this false teaching that they're giving. He tells us there in that chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verses 30 through 34, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, and then he quotes kind of a, a saying for what you would do if, if life is all there is, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up for your, from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Instead of agreeing with the preposterous concept of that there isn't any uh, re uh, resurrection, he not only chastises them for their willingness to entertain the concept, but their willingness to freely associate with people who are advancing a terrible heresy. He is telling them, those people who you're willing to tolerate teaching this heresy are going to pull you into it. They are going to pull you away from the truth and corrupt your morals because you not only tolerate it, you're just fine with them going around teaching it. He points out their willingness 
to spend too much time with people who are of bad morals will eventually corrupt them as people. They should have been correcting those false teachings and bringing this lie to heal. It is a danger to those who have already believed it and those who might start listening. He's speaking to people who are Christians here. It is both a reproof of their failure to act, but it's also a stern warning of the danger that exists to themselves. Such warnings are throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. God warns people to stay away from sin lest you fall. From chapter 4 of Genesis through, well, I can't think of one offhand, but I'm pretty sure there's one in Revelation somewhere, at least one or two. It is inconceivable that such warnings would exist if it were not possible for those of God's people to whom those warnings were given, if they were not in danger and in need of those warnings. You don't warn something about something that can't happen. It would be somewhat like, although far worse than, putting up a sign that says, watch for ice on the bridge in the Sahara Desert. There's no point in that. There's no point in warning someone, be cautious lest you fall, if you can't. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 through 27. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they, meaning the people who are on the path of evil, they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. Think about that. Think about the description he's giving here of wicked, evil people. They, are, they can't even sleep if they haven't done something to mess with somebody that day. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of, righteous, of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the day, full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from your put away from you crooked speech and put device, devious talk away from, far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. 
it is a requirement for us that we, as a people of God, must keep a constant and intentional focus on staying on the path that God has laid out for us. Derailment is a constant danger. And those who teach otherwise are just flat out wrong. We're not going to run the risk of becoming evil like the people that are described there in in that Proverbs section. We're not going to run that risk by the simple fact of falling in sin. We're not. Failing to choose the path of God once is not going to turn us evil. Not even twice. Not even three times would be my guess. But at what point have we slipped yet again or have we left the path completely? Do you know? I do not. There is some point at which we have left the path. We're not just slipping and and, and falling a little bit once again. We have left the path and we are on the path of the wicked. The people it says can't even sleep unless they mess somebody over. I can't say, can you, when that point is? Will we even see it when we get there? I'm pretty confident that when you reach that point, when you've gotten accustomed to just, oh, yep, I chose evil again. Oh, yep, I chose evil again. Oh, yep, I chose evil again. I'm pretty sure you won't even realize when you've left the path entirely and it's 100 yards over that way without somebody helping you see it. Somebody who has a flashlight and is saying, hey, buddy, uh, you're walking through the woods and tripping over the roots. You're not anywhere near the path. What's the deal? And you go, oh, I thought I was still on the path. I thought I was just stumbling once in a while. No, you left the path a long time ago and you didn't even realize it. At that point, we almost completely require outside help to bring us back to reason. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. Now, if you don't understand what that means, healed the wound of my people lightly. Imagine a war movie, okay? And somebody's been tragically, terribly wounded, and their buddy's saying, you'll be fine. It's okay. It's just a scratch. That's what that's saying. They say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall 
At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. He's talking about the priests and the so-called prophets of the nation of Israel who have started teaching lies and ignoring the truth of the word of God. The Old Testament prophet is telling us that these people have become so incredibly corrupt that they have absolutely lost the ability to be ashamed by their own terrible sin. This is what happens when people become evil. They lose the ability to even recognize evil for what it is. They cannot feel shame for the most abhorrent of behavior. As it says, they do not even know how to blush. Shame is not something that is beneath them. They'll be like, oh, don't try to shame me with your moral rights and wrongs. I'm beyond that. It's not beneath them. It's beyond them. It is beyond their capability to understand. Their minds cannot comprehend it anymore. Shame is something you feel when you've done something wrong and you know that you're guilty. You know that you've done something wrong. That's what shame is. That's why people blush when confronted with it because they know they did wrong. I watched a video, uh, I don't know, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. Hilarious video, okay? And it's somebody shooting it on their phone and they've come home uh, after being gone, I don't know, work or whatever, and they come home and they open up the door and there is like a couch cushion or something that is torn to shreds, all right? It's just laying there and something has shredded this couch cushion totally to bits. And the, 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 the human who's filming it saying, what do we have here? Who did this? And they shine the camera on a dog that's sitting there and the dog looks at the camera, and I kid you not, this dog knew exactly what they were saying, and it gave a facial recognition uh, response that anybody could recognize as, well, don't look at me. His eyebrows way back, big old surprise, pursed, pursed lips kind of, and then the dog did this. <laughs> and looks over to the side, and there's another dog over there. And that dog goes, tail between its legs, just absolutely knew it was guilty. And it knew the other dog just ratted it out. That dog knew he had done wrong. He knew he had done what he shouldn't have been doing. And when he was confronted with it, he was ashamed of his behavior. He went literally and put his head in the corner, tail between the legs. This passage is saying people who have turned evil have lost the ability to even behave in the way that dog was able to behave, knowing its guilt and being ashamed of its actions. People who have become evil revel in their sinful actions. And they dare you to say anything about it. Folks, the only reasons that we will not dare to say anything about it are one, 
fear. Fear of being attacked and called evil for calling out evil when it is paraded before us. Or two, the other possibility, maybe there's a third one. These are the only two I could come up with. You have a fear of what will happen if you call it out. Or number two, we just don't care. We don't care about the sin. We don't care about the person who is becoming or has already become evil. Folks, we have to care. We have to care because eternity is at stake. We have to care enough to overcome our fear of what they or society may say or do to us, pointing out what someone has become. Jude, verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who have doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. As, as in, you have to try to save them, but watch out. Be cautious for your own sake. God makes it clear here that it is important for us to actively work to help in the salvation of those who have gone to the brink, all while behaving as though we are in danger ourselves, because we are. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let me be clear on something. There is only one sin from which there is no forgiveness. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is possible that some of the people that we're talking about who have become to the point where they can't even blush, maybe they already have gone to that part of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in their becoming evil. But most people are not beyond saving. But they need some help. Because when people have gotten to the point when their conscience is so seared that they don't even know how to blush. They need someone coming along with a flashlight showing them gently but firmly, you're off the path. You left the path a long time ago. It's way over there. I do believe that there are many people who have chosen to side against God. Little by little, choosing to go the path of evil and sin 
so far that their conscience is just seared. On their own, they can't distinguish between good and evil anymore. And as it says, they call evil good and good evil. And they're unwilling and possibly unable on their own to come back to God short of God himself intervening or sending one of his people to intervene on his behalf. When do people reach that point? I don't know. And neither do you. We must keep ourselves back from being in danger of reaching that point ourselves. But at the same time, we must do whatever is within our power to hold out hope and hold out a a guiding hand to do whatever we can for those who have gone down that path of evil. I've known many people who have said, you know what, I was on the wrong path and I didn't even know it. I had gone bad. And I thought I was still a good person. And then somebody came alongside. Somebody didn't give up on me. Somebody helped me. Somebody was praying for me for 20 years and reaching out at any opportunity that they had to gently tell me, no, that's not true. You need to come back to the truth. Maybe there are people in this room who would meet that description. I don't know. We need to make sure that we're walking on the path. Being cautious, keeping our mind and our eyes on the path so that we stay on it. Do we fall down? Absolutely. I don't know how many times I've found myself going, Lord, here I am again. Sinned again. Did some terrible thing. Please forgive me. And then trying to walk down the path again. You're probably there too. Understand that there are people who are far off the path that we need to be helping in that way. If you haven't accepted Christ, that's, 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 that's a starter. You can't be on the path until you've accepted the forgiveness of Christ that puts you on the path. God has called all of us to come to His grace and His forgiveness And he's explained to us how that happens. We have to hear the word. We have to believe the word. We have to accept that we ourselves are sinners in need of forgiveness. You can't repent from what you won't admit is a sin, folks. Then we have to accept Christ's forgiveness. And scripture is very clear that the point that he meets us in giving us that forgiveness is when we follow his, what his instructions say very clearly and are immersed in